chapter number one today, the book of Titus. We're looking at a gospel-shaped church, and Paul's uh, great call and purpose, his message, was the hope of eternal life. That's the same message that all of us have. It's our message to us from God, and it's our message from God to others that we get to bear and take to them. And then we see Paul's reward, and that is bearing sons in the faith. Amen. Isn't it a blessing when you have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody else and they receive Christ as their personal Savior? And that is uh, one of the greatest blessings we can have. Uh, we see the needs of the church. Paul says to set the church in order. And uh, he said there in verse 5, For this cause left I thee in Crete. He's talking, Paul, Paul's writing this, he's talking to Titus. He said, I left you on that island with all of those cities and all of those little congregations. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou, Crete, that thou shouldest set in order, those three important critical words, set in order the things that are wanting. There were great needs in the churches. The church is a body. We know that, right? The church of God is a body, and the pastor uh, should be that spiritual physician. We know the great physician takes care of things, but he has appointed pastors to help the church and that body of Christ that uh, from time to time there needs to be some bones that are set and mended according to the word of God. We always go to the Bible. It's never man's philosophy. It's never man's ideas on the matter. We have the word, amen, and we have God's heart and God's mind on things. We don't need to uh, go to anything else. Now, I'm not against books, but books should always be uh, through the lens of God's word. God uses preaching, amen, but it's always the word of God that, and the Holy Spirit that empower that preaching. It is not man's philosophy that we lift up. We lift up the word of God and uh, thank God for his Holy Spirit that teaches us. But it's the word of God that brings things together, sets those bones spiritually. And so to set things in order, to appoint leaders, he says in verse 5, and ordain leaders in every city as I appointed thee. And um, we see that the pastor has some family qualifications in verse 6. He's to be blameless. That means the man of integrity. He's to be above reproach. He's not to have something in his life that people can uh, legitimately put a handle on that. Uh, he needs to be a husband of one wife. He needs to have faithful children, those that are saved, not accused of riot or unruly living. Secondly, we see the pastor's personal qualifications, verses 7 and 8. He's a steward of God's work, so he should not be self-willed. It's not his agenda, it's the church. It's God's will that should be done. The pastor shouldn't be soon angry. He needs to be a man that has his temper under control. And... Um, then he's not to be given to wine, not to be a striker, not given to filthy lucre. The ministry is not a, uh, should not be looked at as a money-making venture. Unfortunately, we see a lot of pastors that have turned the ministry into uh, self-gain. That's wicked. Then we see what he is to be, not only what he's not to be, the negative things, but then what he is to be. Verse number eight, he's to be a lover of hospitality. That means that he is a, a welcoming person. He's not a, uh, an aloof, hard to reach. Um, he's not supposed to act like some kind of CEO or some celebrity. He is to be a person that is with the people. As I said last week, Pastor John Wilkerson always says that the shepherd of the, of the flock, the church, the pastor, that shepherd, or the under-shepherd, truly, he is to smell like sheep. He's to be, a, he's to be around the sheep, with the sheep. Um, he's not to be 
uh, put on a pedestal of any kind. That's a dangerous place to put a man of God. Uh, he's to be a lover of good men. That, that really ultimately means a lover of that which is good, all that which is good. Loving people is not just part of the ministry. It is the ministry. Unfortunately, some people say the ministry would be great except for the people. Well, that's not true because the people are the ministry. Amen? And uh, they should, the pastor and those that minister should love people. They need to love people. Love is spelled T-I-M-E. And uh, taking time to be with God's people is so crucial. Um, He's to be a lover of all that is good, as I said, that goes beyond men. He's to be a lover of that which is just and pure. Then we see that the pastor is to be sober. It's not talking here necessarily about alcohol, as uh, this actually more or less is speaking of being sane and sensible. The pastor should have the right temperament and disposition. Some people are not, uh, do not have that right temperament for pastoral ministry. They might be called into ministry, but their ministry might be something a little different. Pastoring people requires time, longevity, requires investment with, with people over a period of time. Um, some people are called to evangelism, you know, and they're there for a week, and that's about all they can handle. And, um, you know, that's sad to say. I don't want to say that all evangelists are like that. I don't think any evangelists that we have here are like that. My preference, just so you know, in bringing in an evangelist to our church, my preference is somebody that has pastored before, that understands that people need time and love and care. There's some people that are pulpiteers. They can get up in a pulpit and they can preach and they can scream and they can stomp and they're dynamic and they're exciting and they're interesting, but that doesn't mean that they are... Uh, they would be a good pastor. So a pastor needs to be a, a sober person, have the right temperament, disposition. He's also to be just. That means that he is to be right with others. And then he's to be holy. That means he is to be right with God. Amen? And then temperate. That means he has his own life un, under control. How can somebody stand up in a pulpit and tell you uh, and, 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 and be an example to you if he's not a good example? Uh, a pastor should have temperance in his own life, self-control. Then thirdly today, we're going to be looking at verse number nine, the pastor's preaching qualifications. Look at that verse, if you would, with me. I know you're already set, but let's stand, if we could, just out of respect for God's word. Usually we stand for the reading of our text. So let's stand and read verse number nine together. Titus 1, verse nine, together, holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Father, I pray that you bless your word today. Speak through it. Speak through your messenger. I do ask that you would help me. God, I, I am uh, in need of your power and strength to deliver a message. I believe from you. I do ask that your blessing would be upon our people here, that they would receive your word and God, that you would bring conviction as we uh, seek to, to allow your word to speak and the Holy Spe Spirit to speak. I pray for the needs that are here, many uh, distractions in our mind. We have a lot of things on our heart and mind, but I do pray that you would just help us to focus today. I pray for any other distractions that might be present, that you would just uh, help us to focus on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The minister 
the bishop, the pastor. He needs to measure up in preaching. I believe it's equally important as his family and as his personal qualifications. The bishop or minister must hold fast the faithful word. The faithful word. He is to be a person who has studied and has studied the word of God. That's why we kind of uh, have an expectation for a minister to go to school. But that's not a requirement. I believe that a person who is called to ministry should be a student of the word before they even go to school. Um, I believe that we need to continue being a student of the word. And so the pastor should be grounded in God's word, should be convinced himself that this is the word of God and that this word is true and that there is a message for the people from God's word. Because if I'm not convinced as the pastor, then I'm not going to be able to convince anyone else. I have to know for sure that I'm holding God's perfect and holy word. It's so sad to see uh, our seminaries that um, have started to or have been over the many years, but we've seen the pattern that the, the seminary has gone from declaring thus saith the Lord to questioning whether we even have God's word or not. And, um, and it's sad because that is the place where a minister is to be strengthened and to be grounded and to be encouraged that we have the word of God. And, um, but uh, that's why uh, seminaries have gotten the bad nickname cemetery, you know? You send a pastor off there and they begin to die. And uh, they, they don't have any life spiritually coming out of there. Um, but the pastor should know the word, should be convinced. He must know what he believes and believe what he knows. Because the minister of God must be able and willing to stand on the word of God in the face of opposition and in the face of temptation to compromise. There's a lot of opportunities to compromise, aren't there? Uh, as churches, and you, you know for yourself, there's so many opportunities to compromise. You can go somewhere else and hear uh, an easier word sometimes. You can go somewhere else and be, uh, you know, find a, a message that's a little more appealing. But when the word of God is preached and it rings true, there is something about that conviction that is a blessing to our hearts. It might not be comfortable in the moment, but it's a blessing to know that this is the word of God and it's being preached without apology. And there's a stand that's being taken and we can, we can know that although it's true and it's convincing and convicting at times, uh, that there is a lot of comfort there as well. So it's convicting and comforting. And so the pastor uh, needs to preach sound doctrine of the word of God. The pastor's uh, measurement is not how good of a speaker he is, but rather uh, how well he has taught the word of God. Are people's lives being changed? See, that is the litmus test. Are people being changed? Uh, it's sad to say some people go to church as they come and leave as they came. They, 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 they come as they are and they leave as they came. So the goal is for people to come to the gospel and to hear the word of God preached and for their lives to be supernaturally impacted by the supernatural word of God. See, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the word. We have God's word. And so it needs to be uh, impacting lives. And if it isn't impacting lives, it's because it's being restrained in one form or fashion. So I believe that that is a great, uh, 
litmus test. Are lives being changed? Are they being transformed? Verse 9, we see there, if you look at it again, holding fast the faithful word. And then the next phrase, if we could look at that together, as he hath been taught. As he hath been taught. I believe that training and education are important, but it's not everything. Um, I'm thankful for having the opportunity to get an education, but that's not a requirement. Um, I believe that could be possibly what Paul is talking about here, as he says, as he hath been taught, but I believe it goes deeper than that. I love the tender heart of Jesus and how he loved his disciples, and he before he went to the cross and before he ascended up to heaven, before he left them, he told them some good things. In John 14, verse 26, he said, I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you like orphans. You're my disciples. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He says there in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. We have not been left here on our own. Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit. He is guiding and leading and teaching us in the word of God. You have to open the word. You have to submit yourself to the word. But I'm telling you today, if you want to be close to God, if you want to be near to God, if you want to hear from God, the Holy Spirit will guide you into the truth of his word. And so we have that wonderful opportunity. And so I believe what he's saying here in verse number nine Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. More important than getting an education. More important than that sheepskin that says you graduated from college. More important than any of those things is the Holy Spirit teaching us and guiding us and convincing us in the word. And us exercising our faith and developing confidence in the word. And developing confidence in the Holy Spirit as we are taking those steps of faith. Some have not begun to take some steps of faith that they need to and that's why they have doubts and that's why they have fears in their life because they're not trusting and fully depending upon God and his word and his spirit and so may we as believers it's not just good for the pastor it's not just good for leadership all of us need to be convinced that this is God's word amen all of us need to be convinced that we uh, have God's power in our lives and we only get that when we begin to take those steps of faith and begin to obey what he has has told us to do. And so the pastor for sure, above all, needs to be doing that. But that's true for all of us. The comforter teaches us. We have an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise teacher in the Holy Spirit. When you don't know what route to take in your life, the Spirit is there to guide you. Amen? When you don't know what words to speak, when you're giving out the gospel plan, when you're speaking truth, when you're needing to take a stand in some place in your life, the Holy Spirit is there to guide you. When you feel discouraged, the Spirit is there to comfort you and to reveal truth to you and to give you the help that you need to go on. Too many people are, are relying on the doctor. Too many people are relying on a pill or some kind of uh, uh, therapy. We need to go to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God first, amen? Instead of going to all of these other uh, things that are just a little band-aid for life, we have the Word of God and the Spirit of God that can help us. John sixteen thirteen. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, 
truth has come. These are the words of Jesus. Do you believe him? He says, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. And so we see there that as he hath been taught, the gospel is and has been communicated to mankind, not by human reason, but by the very word of God. The word needs to be taught as it has been received. Not So we don't need to doctor up the word of God to make it more palatable. We've seen the results of that. We've seen the fruit of that. We see lives that aren't changed. We see people that are uh, corrupt and people that are hypocrites. We need God's word to be preached as it is to men as they are so that there are lives that are changed and the Holy Spirit can bring conviction so that, so that there's a difference. Not same old, same old. Not just putting on a show at church on Sunday. We've had enough of that, haven't we? We've had enough of that. We have people that, you know, we put on the show, we dress up. Some people ask me, well, pastor, do I need to wear a suit to church? Because you wear a suit, absolutely not. There's no dress code for our church. We have uh, some things that we said, if you're gonna be on the platform, of course, we have a standard of every place that you go has a standard. Did you know that I worked at McDonald's and they have a standard? Or they used to, at least. If you work for the postal service, they have a standard. If you work for any company, there's a standard. But I'm telling you right now that we want to encourage people to come as they are and to focus on the spirit, the inside, the soul, what is going on on the inside, not so much the exterior. The, if the, the inside changes, that will correlate to life change and to our uh, or the way that we communicate on the outside. It begins to change. Praise God for the word that changes lives. But it has to be communicated the way it was given to us. It needs to be taught as it was received. We need to go back to see what the word of God says, not what man has interpreted it to, to say. You've, you go on the internet and you want to believe something, you could probably find anybody that will agree with you and even could take even the word of God out of context and say things that it should not or was never intended to say. What was intended? See, well, let's not focus so much on what we want to hear. Let's focus on what does it say? What does God say? What does God say? This is not supposed to be catering to the consumer. This is supposed to be communicated to the sinner. Amen? And so, what does it say? I think of uh, our Supreme Court, our, our, our country, our Supreme Court. There are some judges on the Supreme Court that are called, they call themselves originalists. An originalist believes that the constitutional text, our U.S. Constitution, ought to be given the original public meaning that it would have had at the time it became law. The original meaning of the constitutional text can be discerned from dictionaries, grammar books, and from other legal documents from which the text might be borrowed. Now, our constitution is a couple hundred years old, but I, I'm grateful for those that want to, let's say, look at what the intended meaning of the author, what is the intended meaning of those who penned the Constitution. Not what our society wants to hear, but far more important than our Constitution, which I love the United States of America, but far more important than our Constitution is the what does God say? What is the intended meaning of God's word? What is God's heart and thought? Verse number nine, if you will, let's go there. He says, holding fast. 
Why? Because there are many that are not holding fast. There are many that have slipped. The faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, not some twisted version of the Bible, but by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. People need to be exhorted. That means to be encouraged to trust Christ and to follow him. All of us can be an exhorter of the word of God, amen? All of us need to be exhorting others. Exhortation is used where men know the truth, but need encouragement to follow the word, to follow the truth. Do we need exhortation? Do you need exhortation in your life? Are there times where you might know the truth, but you just need some encouragement to do what you know is right? All of us need that. All of us need that. Probably on a daily basis, we need somebody in our life. Praise God for the church. That is one of the reasons we have the church. Hebrews 10.25 talks about exhorting one another. Amen? Exhort. Exhort. Encourage. I'm so glad that I go to a church where we have some people that encourage truth and right living. And we all should be a part of that. Be an encourager. I like being around those that encourage to do right. Hey, there's plenty of people that will encourage you to do wrong. (laughs) As they say, misery loves company. There's a lot of people that want to get us to do wrong. But we come, hopefully, to a church where we're encouraged to do what is right. And to find out, and sometimes we don't even know we, what is right. What is right? And we search the scriptures. Search the word. Then he says there, okay, look at verse 9. He said that he may be able, that he may be able by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to, what's the next word there, if you could tell me? Convince. Convince. Another way we could say that is Convict. People need to be convinced. Especially those that stand against God and curse God and refuse to surrender. But that convince or convict means to rebuke a man in such a way that he is compelled to see to and admit the error of his ways. You might be saying, well, I love to be confrontational, so that's not a problem for me, Pastor. I'll I'll do that part. It's not exactly maybe what, uh, I don't think that's exactly what's being said here the spirit of what's being said here. Somebody has said that it means to rebuke another with such an effectual wielding of the victorious arms of the truth as to bring him, if not always to a confession, yet at least to a conviction of his sin. The aim of Christian rebuke is not to humiliate a man, but to enable him to see and recognize and admit the duty and the truth to which he has been either blind or disobedient. So the exhortation is for those that know what's right but just need the encouragement to do it. And the convincing is for those who are either opposed to the truth or have never heard the truth. And for the word of God to be taken in such a way that it is bringing conviction. And the Holy Spirit uses the word when it is preached and when it is taught and when it is spoken to bring that conviction. Praise God for the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, the minister of God is to exhort and to convince people by what? Sound doctrine. 
Sound doctrine. You can't get away from the Bible. The pulpit is not a place to espouse my personal views. I will give my opinions on certain things, but there's always that caveat. What does the Bible say? If my opinion contradicts the word, then it's not a good opinion. It's bad advice is what it is. So, what does the Bible say? You see there in verse number nine, the word able. See that towards the last half of the verse, it says that he may be what? Able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. The word able, he is to be so grounded in the word, in God's word, that he is able to exhort and convict people out of God's word. There are people that have a compelling um, and charismatic personality. Be careful. Be careful. What does the word say? But when somebody is so rooted on the word of God and is so convinced of the word of God that he just espouses the Bible and through the Holy Spirit can make it clear and can make it convicting, praise God for that uh, ministry. But somebody can do that. Titus chapter two, if you would, just go with me for a second. One page back in your Bible, chapter two, verse 15. The Bible says here, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise these. So we see that same principle there, exhorting and convincing. Exhorting and convincing, he says, with all authority. Where does our authority come from? If our authority doesn't come from God, then we don't have any authority. It's not the church. So many people look at religion and they say, well, it's the church, the church, and, and, and they are against organized religion. That's why I'm so glad our local church here is autonomous. We answer to God. We don't go up to a, up, uh, some kind of um, a chain of command through a denomination or a convention. We answer to God. We're an independent church. So our authority should be God, not man, not a denomination, not a convention, not the pope, not some bishop, not a cardinal. It is not even the pastor. All of us together answer to God collectively. So, he says, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, and because of that, we don't have to worry about anybody despising us because they have to answer to God. There are so many people who come to church that are broken, that are needy, they come to church sometimes, they don't, don't even come to a service. We get to minister to them in, at the front doors because of our food pantry. I praise God for that opportunity every, every week. It's grown and it's grown and it's grown. We have some that ride the bus to church. Praise God for that. I'm so thankful for that outreach. We have um, the clothing ministry. We have the radio. We have other means of getting in touch with people in our community. There's people that have knees. There's people that are broken. So I believe that's why it's so important that we understand as a church, our, our ministry is vital. Your ministry is vital. Setting those things that are broken, those broken bones, the spiritual bones that are broken throughout our congregation, throughout our community. This is where people come to get help, and we need to be helping them. We should not be turning people away and saying, well, be warmed and filled. 
we should say, come on in. We want to help you. This is a hospital that can help the hurting, help the sick, help those that are, are on their last breath. Praise God for a church that is doing that. We need to continue. I've learned a long time ago there is a broken heart in every pew. There are people that are hurting that you may not know they are hurting because they've learned to live with that hurt. They have learned to cope. They've learned to get along. But they are, they are nonetheless hurting. They need to be encouraged and exhorted, fired up. Sometimes they need to be convinced that this is the truth. They hear so many different things. You have heard so many different things. Sometimes it's hard to know what is right and what is up, what is down. What is the truth? What is the truth? You've been lied to. You have been discouraged. You've been, um, you have been tricked and deceived by so many different people that it is hard to open your heart up one last time. But I'm pleading with you this morning. This is God's message for all of us. None of us are exempt from it. We've all sinned. We've come short of the glory of God. None of us deserve to go to heaven. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You need to be saved and forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save you from your sins. He loves you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, die forever in eternity in hell, but have everlasting life. That means that you have a home in heaven. Why? Because you're a good person? No, none of us are good. But because Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. And the only way to the Father, the Bible says, is through Jesus Christ and putting your faith and trust in him. Not through, not through a church, not through an organization, not through any of those things. It is by grace alone, through faith alone. The grace of God extended to man and the faith of man where we hold our hands to God and say, please forgive me. I accept your free gift of salvation. I receive it. So there are many people that are hurt. There's many people that need that love, encouragement, the exhortation. There's people that need the conviction of God's word. The word of God will comfort and the word of God will convict. And I'm so thankful for that. So many people don't like it. They say, well, I didn't like that. But you know, sometimes my dad used to say, you have to get mad before you can get glad sometimes. And sometimes we have to feel that prick of God's conviction, the Holy Spirit speaking to us. But that's what draws us back to the truth. God doesn't want to pacify us because so many people are being pacified right into hell. So many people are being lulled to sleep by, the, by so-called preachers of the word of God. The word of God should be convicting. It should be convincing and convicting. For some, it does repel. That light, the light, you know, it can repel because it exposes Corruption It exposes sin. But the same light that repels is also attracting. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we would love to counsel you and show you from the Word of God so you can make your own decision. But the Word of God will bring you to that salvation. The Holy Spirit is drawing you to salvation today. And we ask that you would give us an opportunity to share the word of God with you in just a moment. We're going to have an invitation with every head bowed and every head closed in just a moment. We'll all stand. And I'm going to ask you, as, as soon as we have that 
prayer of invitation, when I say amen, you walk this aisle, you come here, and I will show you from the word of God or have somebody take the word of God, show you how you can be saved. Know that Jesus is your personal savior. Believers, it is time for us to become an exhorter, to love one another, to encourage one another, to have that right relationship, a relationship with one another, to be just and holy, to be above reproach and all of those things, not just good for the pastor, of course we expect that, but all of us should be the right kind of Christian. Things right in our life where we can be that salt and light in our community. Father, Lord, I do pray that you bless your word today as we have this time of invitation. We encourage, Father, we've encouraged this morning our people and those under the sound of my voice to come to salvation, the Bible way. We thank you for loving us so much, even though we don't deserve your love, but you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to die in our place. I pray this morning that if there's anyone in this service or is hearing this, this, uh, this message, that they would receive that free gift of salvation by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless the believers as well. Help us to live the way we ought to live in the very short amount of time that we have in this life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Standing to our feet.